Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Thank you, uh, Tommaso. Thank you, uh, Brother Andrew. It's good to see all of you uh, this afternoon. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Um, Cast your bread upon the waters. Now, I'll be the first to admit uh, it's tough to have a title that doesn't totally match the first uh, verse in the text. Um, The New King James Version, a different way of translating the Bible. Also, the ESV uh, translate chapter 11, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. Two big things I'm hoping for this this afternoon. One, you'll you'll remember this phrase. And two, um, you'll be encouraged to live differently uh, based on what we talk about around it. Um, right here and now. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a a book in the Bible. It's not the whole story, but it's part of the whole story. Uh, The Bible's made up of 66 different books. It's an an amazing book within itself. Uh, We have taken time over the last couple of months to give special attention to this one book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Its author is a man named Solomon, And Solomon has intended to help explain to us what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to live wisely in this world? And Solomon's brought up a few different points and a few different themes. Um, Week after week, Solomon confronts us with the fact that we are all going to die. I know you're like, that's not a vibe. What am I doing here? It's like, I mean, I came to church talking about dying. No, we are. It's one of the great realities Solomon brings to the forefront. Solomon's done a lot in the first couple of chapters to talk about the many ways that we actually try to distract ourselves. We try to act like this isn't a thing when it actually is. So Solomon says, look, you're going to die one day. So how are you going to live this life until then? And then Solomon analyzes, he's, he's probed, he's poked around, he's explored like the nature of life under the sun. It's a big idea. Under the sun. It's just like how things go in this world. And he's gone on and on and on, and he rolled us all the way up to here. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we were planning to cover chapters 10 and 11 this week. And I don't want to make too big of a deal about this, but I do want to be clear with you when I, when I say this to you. Um, I was intending to kind of cover these two chapters at a pretty high level, but when I was praying about this moment, anticipating this moment, not knowing all of us would be here, but trusting some people would be here, it's almost like I felt God constraining me only to these first six verses. So we're going to look just at those, but I, I want you to want you to know that. I mean, for me, as I come here, um, this isn't what I was planning to talk about. There's something special to this that I actually, if it was up to me, I would have taken us another route here. But I do think there's something God wants us to hear just in these six verses. So let me quit talking about it and let's just talk about it, yeah? All right, here we are. So where do you find perspective? 
That's the opening question. That's the opening hook. Just think about it right now on the spot. You don't have to answer me this. Just think about it. Where do you get your perspective? Okay, now let's think about it together. Uh, where do you stand to get your outlook on the world? Because we all have to stand somewhere to get our understanding of everything in life. And it depends on our particular topic that we're talking about, right? Okay, so I'm very obviously from America, and I get my perspective on American college football as a fan of Auburn University. That means nothing to many of you in this room, and I'm good with that, especially this year, because they're not worth much, okay? Now, I find my perspective on European football as a nominal Tottenham supporter, okay? That's where I'm going to get my thank you. Amen. Yes, we're together on this. Thank you. Right. I, uh, I get my perspective on food as a foodie, something that wants to talk about what we're going to eat, talk about what we're going to drink, right? Um, Elizabeth and I actually got into a little bit of a misunderstanding on our way into the honeymoon because I was like really trying to figure out like, what are we going to eat? And she's like, sure, there's more important things. You know, it's like, <laughs> but like wanting to know, like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Where are we going to be? How's it going to be? It's all about your perspective. You know, are you into it or are you not? Where do you get your perspective? And then Ecclesiastes has been kind of leading us up to this moment when it's like, where do you get perspective on death? So you're going to die. I mean, science is going to advance, advance, advance. Yep, and then we, we too, we will die. So where do you get your perspective on it? Where do you get your perspective on what happens when you die, what happens to your soul after you die, and what would make for a good life between now and that eventual time. So that's what Ecclesiastes has a lot to say. It's been teaching us about life from the perspective of death. That's the role of this particular book in the Bible. Let's talk about life from the perspective of death. So just kind of apply death as a lens, now read life. Man, how are we going to live this thing? What should we be up to? And Ecclesiastes, he's urging us. I hope you feel some urgency coming from even me in the next few moments if I can get going and get past this man cold to talk to you about the urgency that we need to have in our life in this world. Because Solomon's been building a case. He's saying there is a God who is in heaven, who is a wise and loving father, and he holds the righteous and wise people of the world in his hands. And he's saying now, This is the point we've made, so how are you going to live your life? What are you going to do next? And in these six verses that we get to look at together this afternoon, it's a perspective on how we are going to invest the one life we've been given. Cast your bread upon the waters, ship your grain upon the sea. Lots of ways to interpret this. Some people would say, whoa, Solomon's given us some top financial advice. I would say this is indeed fantastic financial advice, especially from a few people I know that are into this kind of thing. They would certainly affirm this. Some people would say, well, he's actually, he's actually doing more than that. He's given us a perspective on how to, how to have a family, how to, how to raise kids. I think that's certainly there. But I think the specific word that we need to hear in this room this afternoon, even in this community at large, has to do with our relationships. Cast your bread upon the waters when it comes to our relationships with each other. And here's where this is coming from. Followers of Jesus are gardeners and investors. 
whether you feel like it or not, whether you would consider yourself to be a really good one or a really poor one, followers of Jesus are gardeners and followers of Jesus are investors. Our relationship with this world and our relationship with one another is one that has this in mind. We are people that sow into things. We invest ourselves wherever we are. Now, I'm not much of a green thumb. I much prefer walking on golf courses that other people have taken the time to garden after, but gardeners take the long view. Gardeners know that today's painful toil will result in tomorrow's pleasant bounty. Taking a long view towards investing and taking a long view towards gardening, we know that we might see only small margins right here, but we know small margins can add up to big yields and differences one day. When we take a long view to investing with one another relationally, yes, in a highly transient culture like this, Zone 2 in London, when we take this kind of mentality as our mindset, we might look around and say, it's just, just a few dinners, it's just a few going to drinks, just a few cups of coffee. Is it that much, really? But there's wisdom here. You might look back later in your life, you might look back 10 years, you might look back 40 years later, and you might see, man, huge, huge rewards, huge, huge yields by investing well for those few days we had it. So Ecclesiastes is giving us this from the perspective of death. You are going to die. The clock is ticking. It is actually counting. It is not counting up for you. It is counting down for you. Every birth certificate has an indiscernible expiration date on it. We are going to die. And then for those of us who hope in Jesus Christ, who aren't living for this world, that ain't the worst news we've ever heard. Because we are going to be able to get on with an eternity with our God, with one another, and there will be no lack. In fact, the things that did lack are going to be made whole and we're going to be complete for all of eternity. This is where Paul was able to say, for me to live as Christ, I'm just working out his business right now, and then when I die, that's when I'm going to get my gains. So, so that's what we got to see. Let's quit talking about it. Let's start looking at it. Look at the first two verses. I want you to see it. It's all, it's all right here. The uncertainty of life does not stop us from needing to take risks. Ship your grain across the sea or... Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days you will receive a return. You can, you can hear the gardening, the investment language here. So invest in seven ventures. Yes, even take eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Some would say this is even just like philanthropic advice, like how to be a generous person. And indeed, we will take that as well as one of the meanings and outcomes, but specifically for our purposes this afternoon, focusing on what does it mean for us to be a faith family in a highly transient place where people are just focused on getting and not really giving. Like, who are we going to be? It's the, it's the fact that life is unpredictable, is what actually motivates Solomon to say to us, make some investments. Like, cast your bread upon the waters. You, you, you can imagine where they were coming with this. You would actually 
back in the day, if you were going to make an investment, if we had a bunch of grain here in this room and we wanted to invest the grain, we would have to choose. We go down to port and you see all the different ships lined up at port. We would have to make a decision. We want to multiply the value of this grain that we have here. We're going to have to pick a boat that doesn't look like it's going to sink or be attacked by pirates. And we're going to have to entrust our grain to one of these boats. And we're going to have to send it out. And we're going to have to sit around for a season not knowing how this thing's going. We're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait. And then after a while, maybe we get news. Hey, the the boat made it. And the grain sold. And they're actually bringing back your profit. And then we would wait and wait and wait and be sure that didn't get stolen, but you get the point, right? Cast your bread upon the waters. Friends, life is uncertain, but the uncertainty of life does not prevent us from the fact that we still have to take some risks with one another. Even thinking about like where we are as a community of faith, yeah, we're living in zone two London. I mean, Many of us travel a bit to get here. Some of us are able to walk to get here. But inevitably, people are going to come to this congregation and people are going to be moved on from this congregation. That does not mean we get to play it safe. We get to hold back from one another. We're not going to give our hearts to one another. We're not going to put down some roots with one another and invest while we are here. So we have to choose to cast our bread upon the waters. We don't know when we're going to get called away. We don't know when our friends are going to get called away. But we have to choose in the days, in these unpredictable days that we've been given. Now's the time. I'm I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to invest in not just one person around me. I'm going to invest in just six, no, seven, maybe eight people around me. We have to cast our bread upon the waters. We don't know how it's going to go. We don't know how it's going to turn out but we have to try. We have to take risks. We have to put ourselves out there for something. Then look more focused on verse 2. The uncertainty of life should lead us to action. And that's often not how it goes. We look on the uncertainty of life and we start adding up all the reasons why now isn't a good time. I'm in a place. That person's in a place. Goodness, if I were to try to like get involved right now... we come up with these excuses and we develop these reasons. But the argument that Solomon's making here is that death is coming for us all. We get one life and then it's over. So we have, we have to, we must look at one another and get to know one another. And even in a room like this, yes, I'm American. There's a few Americans here. We've talked about this, but there's other people around. It's not just like there's white people. There's like brownish people. There's blackish people. No, we're, we're, we're all here. There's different cultures represented here. And we, we have to, like now is the time to push off. Like we have to get to know one another. We have to take some risks and invest in one another. Because the clock is counting down on us all. We do not know when our last day will be. We do not know how long we get to be here together. So we have to invest. Some say that life's uncertain, so we should eat dessert first. Solomon here says life is uncertain, 
So you should actually give your best dessert away to somebody else. That's the point he's driving at. Check out verse 3. We're encouraged then to take life as it comes. There it is. You and me here together. You can just imagine like the the worry of the gardener right here. Well, look, if the, the clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Maybe a tree falls down to the south or the north in the place where it falls. There it will lie. Solomon's like, yeah, just imagine a gardener. Is, is now the day that I'm going to go out and I'm going to like sow all this grain into the earth and I'm going to trust God for an outcome? Looking at the clouds, those rain clouds, I don't know. The serious nimbus cumulus. I don't, I don't know. I've heard this before. You know, like we're just trying to figure out like is now the time or is tomorrow the time? Solomon's like, just quit thinking about it so much. Now, this isn't the only piece of advice in the Bible, but it's the piece of advice available for today. For some of you in here, for some of us, it's time. It's time to quit counting the cost, and it's time to act. And there's other times for counting the cost, but here today, Solomon says to us, you just got to take life as it comes. You're going to have to take some risks. You're going to have to put yourselves out there with the people around you. Because, yeah, you don't know if it's going to rain. You don't know if you're going to start out on this journey and some season-ending tree is going to get fell in the path. You don't. You have to act. Then in verse 4, he says there's always going to be a reason why you shouldn't take the next step. Solomon anticipates this. When it comes to work, Solomon says just hit it. (laughs) Excuses will always be plentiful. It will always be too hot. It will always be too cold. It will always be too early. It will always be too late. Solomon says for some of us, it's time to trust God and just hit it. Now look, rewind the script. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he talked about the different seasons, right? Think back with me. In, in, in a different season, we might be tempted to imagine, well, only if the conditions were different, now would be a good go time on this. I'll get real specific. If only the, the, the conditions were different now, then, th- then I would be ready to like open up the mess of my life and finally like let somebody else in to come and help me with all this. We think to ourselves, well, if the conditions of my life were different, then I would be ready to like put down roots and kind of quit shopping around and just trust God with the church home, even though they're a bit of a mess. I'm a bit of a mess. Maybe I can contribute. You know, like now's the time to put down roots. You're looking around the room, and it's like, man, one day, I'd, some of my guys in here, like, one day, I'd love to go talk to her. Like, brothers, look, maybe now's the time. You've been praying for that sign. Here's your sign, you know? Sisters in the room, like, we're thinking, like, man, like, when should I open myself up? When, when should I listen? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we just think, like, yes, there's times to think. There's times to speculate. There's times to meditate. There's times to worry about. There's times to mull it over. But, but this is the time we're in. So maybe it's the time even relationally to look at one another and say, come on, you and me, let's, let's go to lunch and let's just start talking this thing out. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the preacher uses the analogy of a farmer to reinforce the ordinary rhythmic way in which we navigate the seasons of life. And our speculations about what might happen, they cannot solve the mysteries. We'll spend forever speculating. We'll spend forever wondering. We'll spend forever guessing. How will it go? 
The point that Ecclesiastes is making is that we don't know. We know God is there. He is in control. We know we are going to die. We know the clock is expiring. So how are we going to live? What are we going to do? We are so prone to control. We are so tempted to try to solve all the things that we can't know. It's because we want to be God deep in our hearts. And that is a sin to try to do the things and know the things and control the things that only God has rights and access to. And what we do in our sin is we actually keep confounding and confusing and frustrating ourselves, trying to be someone we have no right being. Instead, we look to the God who is there. And we say, don't know if it's going to rain or not, but today I'm going to sow. And we press in. But we might say, it looked like it was going to rain. But we might say, but the winds of change were starting to blow. But we might say, but a tree fell in my path. Such a farmer forgets the message of Ecclesiastes. Disasters are going to happen, and disasters are inevitable. But that doesn't mean we never get started and we never get going. For some of us in here, it's time to get going. For some of us in here specifically, it's time to get going in our ministry with some other people. There's people that we have known about a person who is the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus, and we have withheld him, and we have kept him back from people that God has given us access to. For some of us, it's time to put down relational roots in faith and to open up and to share about the way of salvation. Verses 5 and 6. So he says, basically, remember your limitations and then just do something. Remember, we're finite. Remember, we're fallen. Remember, we're not complete. Remember, we're broken. We're not whole. Remember, God controls and makes everything. And remember that God has not made us privy to every single detail of his plan. So Solomon looks at us and he says, so listen, Recognize what you don't know. And what you don't know is actually quite a lot. Trust God with those few details that you do know. And then get busy with the thing that he's put in your heart. We remember that Ecclesiastes is at war with the folly of self-sufficiency. And the key to wisdom is remembering and coming back to again and again and again, we don't know. It's being able to look in the mirror and say, I don't know. But I trust God. And God does know. So I'm going to cast my bread upon the waters. So let's start summarizing right here then, okay? Storms are going to come. Winds are going to blow. Trees are going to fall. We don't know. And that's the great point of Ecclesiastes. All we can do is give ourselves more fully to the one who does know so that when those things do happen, when they inevitably happen, then we can cultivate wisdom inside of us And we can know how to live and how to navigate. If you like, then, another way of looking at this, a whole other way of even titling this that we're talking about right here, is how to live with the unknown. That's what Ecclesiastes offers to us. And when the unknown taunts you, like it will taunt me, when the unknown taunts your mind with the season that you find yourself in, then you give yourself to the next thing that God has told you to do. Knit your palms into a rope. Then you stand there praying and begging God for wisdom, and then you act. So here's some summary then. 
Think about what this is saying, these first six verses. Things we do not know. We do not know how to predict the future. Verses 1 and 2 make this very, very clear. It's an underlying note of uncertainty. You know, start going to this church. But what if? You don't know. Move to London. But what if? You don't know. Move back to your homeland. But what if? You don't know. And Ecclesiastes becomes very freeing to us. We can be people who are limited, and there's incredible freedom in being limited. What are you saying? You know what? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I know God, and I'm going to trust my unknown future to my known God, and I'm going to get busy with something. The second thing we see is that we do not know that which only God can do. Look at verse 5 again. It's right there. We don't know how to do those things that only God can do. We don't know where wind comes from. I mean, I mean, the, the, the meteorologist, if you're where I'm from, the weatherman, like that guy, he's rarely correct. He doesn't know. They're just staring out over a massive Atlantic Ocean and just making some calculated guesses. They don't know. You, you, you make, a, make an appointment over, over here in Marlebone off Baker Street. Woman can go get a scan. And they can show like, oh, here comes a baby. It's being knit together. But no one can explain how these bones are knit together in a mother's womb. This is God's work. We don't know these things. And Solomon's gracious. He brings us to the edge and he pushes us off. He's like, you don't know. And that's okay. Quit trying to control everything and start trusting God who does. Come on. Another thing is we don't, we don't know how to guarantee success and avoid failure. And think how that frees us up relationally with one another. So that frees us up. So we can look at one another and say, what's your name again? <laughs> For the seventh time. And we just say, look, can we, uh, maybe we just get a tea after this and we just start talking? Because I don't know how to enter into a relationship where I'm, I can be sure you won't hurt me and I can be sure that I won't hurt you. We, just, we have to trust God. We have to put down roots with one another. And here's the big idea that the Bible drives with. Don't worry, I'm about to finish this. Just calm down. Here's the big idea. We reap what we sow. Carries this over to the New Testament, and that's, that's all it just goes on and on and on and on and on about. We reap what we sow. And look, respectfully, I'm, I'm going to be tender to you right here. Some of us walk in here week after week after week, and this is a good thing to sow into the course of the week, but this isn't the only thing we're sowing into the course of our week. We're sowing all kinds of other stuff into the soil of our hearts. And we're looking around and we're wondering, where did all this bitter fruit come from? Fact of the matter is, my friend, we reap what we sow. This is a principle of the universe. This is a rule that's baked into creation. You cannot escape this and you cannot beat this. person who looks like everything's going well, they will reap what they sow. A person who sows things to God, they will reap the things of God. We spend our weeks sowing all kinds of other evil into our heart. We will reap the fruit of evil as well. I love you to say this to you. That's not a very flattering thing. That's a bit of a risky thing to put in the midst of a relationship, but it's love that leads me to endeavor to be so bold with you. So positively, maybe, you reap what you sow. And it's about to be played out around your Christmas tree this season, right? When, 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 when so-and-so is headed to the shop to get something for you, you about to reap what you've been sowing. 
All year long, you've been sowing some kind words. You've been sowing some sweet looks. You've been sowing some thoughtful texts. It's about time to reap, you know? Unless you married an idiot like me that's so self-absorbed he can't realize it. And wife has to buy herself these things and just tell me, this is what you got me. So, But for others in here, we spend all year neglecting, all year looking past, all year not caring, all year thinking about ourselves, and we kind of roll around to a birthday. We roll around to another Christmas, and around the Christmas tree, you reap what you sow. We're sitting here, we're like, where's my people? Oh, well, I just spent another year not sowing into the hearts of other people, and here I am being forgotten again. We reap what we so Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 8 says, Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And I told you at the start, all of us who follow Jesus, all of us are ultimately gardeners. It's an unavoidable fact, my friends, of the spiritual life that we are always sowing to something. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he asks us to reflect on the types of seeds that we are sowing into hearts. Are we sowing sexual immorality? Are we sowing hatred? Are we sowing discord? Are we sowing jealousy? Are we sowing envy? Those works of the flesh can only be sown as tiny kernels, but they'll be nourished into poisonous fruits that will grow up and kill. Or are we looking around? Are we sowing in love? Are we sowing in joy? Are we sowing in peace? Are we sowing in patience? Are we sowing in kindness? As the text message, as somebody forgets your name, as another weird thing happens, are we sowing in gentleness? Are we sowing in faithfulness? Are we sowing in self-control amongst one another? That the Spirit of God will water and eventually we will reap. As a congregation, as a faith family, we'll look around one day and we will reap. There will be plenty of food to eat and consume and be nourished by. We will reap a harvest of the fruits of God. We are gardeners. So how are we doing? How are we doing? Gardeners, almost, almost done. Gardeners always take the long view. Gardeners know that today's painful toil will result in tomorrow's pleasant bounty. Gardeners don't freak out when they walk outside the day after they committed to a thing and see there's no green yet. It's okay. Gardeners are playing a long game. Gardeners take a long view. So gardeners will respond to something like this. Good gardeners, They'll, they'll pull alongside, they'll be intentional, they'll look somebody in the eye, they'll have a conversation, they'll send a few thoughtful text messages, and then they won't freak out when it looks like nothing happens. No, they'll stay faithful, they'll stay true, they'll keep sowing in those little things, trusting it's going to take time for some stuff to grow, and in time after that, then we can see a harvest. Gardeners then, my good friends, gardeners then, they have a long view to what happens week in and week out when we come around here. Gardeners take a long view. I have been sowing stuff into my life all week long. So yes, this is a really good deposit of a few hours today, but we have to sow into our hearts personally when we're on our own. We have to get amongst a few other people in these little community groups 
and Costa coffees and front rooms of houses and around tiny tables. Like we get around and we sew in just a little more even on a Zoom screen. We have to build into this if we want to reap the fruits of this. So then gardeners, even after they come to Christ, even after they get consistent with being around and being about some of these good rhythms, they learn to be patient even with themselves as their lives have to get rid of that last bit of bad fruit that they've been sowing into for a while while the harvest of the things of God takes root to come up one day after it. I hope that we can go there together. I better conclude. Um, band, why don't you come on up here? That has a way of helping me finish the talk. Um, here's the good news, friends. Jesus delivers us from death, and he gives us abundant, eternal life in place. So here's some conclusions then. Ecclesiastes, it depicts in great detail for us the curse of sin and death. Death, which is coming for us all. The clock, which is expiring on our lives. It makes life feel like it's meaningless. It makes life feel like it's frustrating. It makes life feel like our whole legacy is going to be forgotten. But may I help just lift your gaze just one more time and consider Jesus. Consider Him. In the midst of all this gardening and investing stuff about relationships, there are some people in here that are just ready for me to stop talking, saying walk across the room and hug somebody. There's some other people in here that are scared to death because it means we have to open up ourselves. Here's the deal, Jesus delivers. He delivers from death. He gives a full and abundant life now. And he gives an eternal life after death all the way out. And Jesus Christ is how God plans to do away with sin without doing away with us. What Ecclesiastes aches for the New Testament presents to us. Paul wrote to the church in Rome to tell them that death did not enter the world through one, that though death did enter the world through one man, but life came to the world through one man as well, and his name is Jesus Christ. And just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, they wrecked the whole script for us in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus, as we're told in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, offers to put the whole thing back on track again. We don't have to have a life of meaninglessness. We can have a life of meaning. We sin and we die because we inherit sin from Adam and Eve, and we need to be redeemed. The wages of our sin, it is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. So the question that needs to be raised is how does Jesus redeem us from the curse of death? Jesus redeems us from the curse of death by becoming sin and death on himself on Golgotha is what Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says. See, the only way to get rid of death is to get rid of sin. Look around this world and you just say, man, when's God just going to do away with all this brokenness? When he's going to do away with all this injustice? When is he going to do away with all this sin? Friend, God has chosen something far better than just to do that. If he were to do that, he would have to get rid of me and you and all of us together. But he has a plan. He has a way of extracting the penalty for sin and death out of us without taking us out with it. And that's when he chose to punish his son, Jesus Christ, in our place. So the New Testament offers what Ecclesiastes just aches for. 
There's one man who did not decay into the dust, Psalm 16.10 tells us. There's one man who did not suffer the seemingly irreversible fate of death. He's the promised deliverer of Genesis chapter, chapter 3, verse 15. He offers to roll back the curse of sin and to restore our days with so much meaning and purpose. And his name is Jesus. He's the teacher who is greater than Solomon. He is the one who's greater than Solomon. He did not just teach wisdom, but he came to live it. And he lived it perfectly. He lived out the wisdom of God for us. And he went to the cross and he who was perfect wisdom, he didn't do anything wrong. He became foolishness. He became folly as he took on our sin. And friend, what's left for you and me? The hard work has been done. He looks at us and he says, would you just believe this? Would you quit being so foolish? Would you just trust in me? Trust in me. Trust in me. He experienced everything that we should experience of falling short of God's glory. The enemy, who's the curse of sin and death, stealing our hearing, stealing our motor skills, stealing our sight. Jesus came restoring and redeeming and bringing things back to life. He took on death. He took on three dark days in the grave, unable to hear, unable to walk, unable to see, but he did not decay into the dust. God raised him from the dead. He has been vindicated. He has life and we can trust in him. And Jesus now redeems so that we can live according to our design and we can, we can invest well, we can garden well with one another. Because the good news is that Jesus came to redeem us so that we can start living how he intended for us to live. He did not just die and rise to forgive our sins. He died and he rose to conform us to his image and likeness once and for all. He's given us his spirit, which is his power, so we can live out his way in his world. He overthrew the curse so that we can live redeemed lives of conformity to his image. Now we can get busy with the few days that we have left eating, drinking, and fellowshipping with each other, not making an idol out of these things anymore, but enjoying these things as fruits that come from his resurrection. The conclusion of this sermon and the conclusion of Ecclesiastes for us is that Jesus leads us in bringing heaven to earth through our very lives. Old Testament wisdom literature, longing for eternal life, but it's not the type of fly away life. It's not the type of this world is cursed and broken, so let's get out of here life. What Jesus offers is a fundamentally different way of viewing the world. It's a way of saying, yes, this place is broken. Yes, this place is scarred. But this is the place where heaven is slowly invading again and it will take over in the end. Those who are in Christ are indeed a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So even now we can start living differently. We can start gardening differently and relationally investing differently with one another. And we get to practice right here and right now what it means to be an example of his resurrection from the dead and how we love one another and how we treat one another. So for those of us in here who life feels like it's just meaningless, I mean, sure, like you live in Queens Park, you go around, you have some stuff. Yeah, 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 but then what? Here's a savior for your soul. His name is Jesus Christ. He knows you all the way through. 
He went to a cross and He willfully took all of your sin onto Himself and the Father punished Him in your place. Believe in Him and have eternal life and experience the life-giving Spirit of God flowing into your soul, restoring you from the inside out, pushing out those old fruits and those old crops will have to endure for just a little while and then bringing you to glory in the end. And for a church who knows this Savior, let us eat, let us drink, and let us be merry. For yesterday we were dead, but today we are alive, alive to Christ and alive in God. Band, come on up here. Y'all bow your heads, we'll pray. Father in heaven, here we are. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. God, we pray that you would lead us and we pray that you would minister to us, even as we have some time to think about what's been said in here. God, help us not to move back to being distracted. Help us to meet with you in this moment. So we say, come Holy Spirit, fill up this room, fill up our lives, minister to us and give us what we need. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.